0: Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. When searching His Word, we can always be sure of our salvation will not be used on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. We are located at 384 East Midway Road here in White City, Florida. This program contains previous recordings from Joe Wilson, who graduated from this life in 2018. We invite you to join us for worship. Personal Bible study is available, and we propose to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified.
1: So tonight I want to introduce to you or give you something to think about that a lot of times people don't. And because they haven't, we've got a lot of problems in the church of Christ and around the world. Can I decide? Now, Joshua said, choose you this day. There are some who think God will allow them to worship in a denominational church. As long as they're telling those with whom they worship about the Lord. There are others who think they have to worship with denominational people to be loyal to their husbands or to their wives or to allow their children to be satisfied. There are still others who think they can worship in doctrinally weak congregations of the churches of Christ when they have a choice not to so that their children can find friends and children of their own ages. There are still others who consider their decision to be the same as the Lord's decisions, thinking He could not possibly see it any other way. And finally, there are others who get quite indignant when you approach them about spiritual questions they should have already made up their minds about, thinking only on a physical level. And then you ask your question Can I decide? If I can decide about the matters like we've discussed, why do I need the Lord? Have those who have lived a successful Christian life before I was born made the decisions based on the same thing as I? Or do as I do as they do? The world has never seen the likes of you and I before. They don't know who we are and what we are. And if I can determine what is right and wrong by what I feel or think, why do I need the written word of God? If I do not need to continue to come to study to improve myself and to make myself a member of the body of Christ as God commands, I know no argument of, well, not just all of us seeing alike or a response saying true, but not all see it wrong either. Either. It seems to me like that the question has come about as, well, you just don't see it like I do. Well, maybe we don't see it wrong like other people do. I realize that there are some who think they can get punished when they think outside the box and want to study the scriptures for what they are and revel in their freedom to decide on their own instead of basing what they believe on the word of God or its doctrine. But if they are free to decide, why can they not be free To obey you know the truth has no fear of inspection thinking outside the box has to bring us back to the parameters of the box when the study begins not after years of rebellious service and error why do I have to prove again what faithful and dedicated men have proven a hundred years before me can I choose There are some who have a deep-seated animosity for the truth revealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I'm going to bring a charge tonight that I don't think maybe I've done before. If I haven't, well, I've been remiss in not doing so. But I think it needs to be stated. They like Christ. They fear God the Father. And mistrust God the Holy Spirit. You th- might think that that's a serious charge, and it is, but it is one I'm prepared to make in light of what I think I've observed in the lives of some of those who profess to be walking in the light. They don't care if you have a thus saith the Lord. All they care about is what they think. They don't care if you can prove the issue by a book, chapter, and verse. All they care about It's what they think it ought to say. They've been caught on this proving by the scriptures before, by some brother who's been able to help them, to want to show them the truth. And you're not going to catch them too easily in this method again. And when they, because of their indifference to the message of the Holy Spirit, are held against their will from fellowshipping or worshipping with people whom they claim love God, They're so tired of what Jesus said and of being told what the Holy Spirit has taught that they join in active rebellion against the message of the Word of God, the Bible. They've been stunned by the proofs in the Bible before. You got their attention with that the first time. You're not going to get them this time. They are now broken free from the yoke they think that has been come. That has come from the Word of God. That's too heavy to bear. They just don't intend to follow what the Scriptures say, and although they think Christ is okay and God the Father is fine, they just don't think that the Holy Spirit had much to do when He bound on the church such uh, finite rules and regulations as to make it be obedient and and actually be in a situation to divide asunder itself from denominationalism and its doctrine. So they mistrust the Holy Spirit of God and His product, the Holy Divine Scriptures. It cannot be true that God the Father would take a stand against what they feel because they know what they feel is okay. And if a feeling is that which is to be the guide, if the Holy Spirit gets in the way just remove the idea of having to be contradicted by the Holy Spirit, and you're walking again with God. For you see, they claim to tell you that they walk with God, and it's so wonderful to be back again where they had been before, before somebody told them about the church of Christ in the book, chapter, and verse, or thus saith the Lord, or what they've been taught has not been true, or what they believed and obeyed is not what the holy spirit commanded and they were offended yet responsive and became members of the body of christ and walked in christianity for a while but their friends and their loved ones and they with whom they had so had so such a joyful walk in the, the spirit as they called it kept calling and pleading them to come back home. And as their walk with God was so wonderful before, they took a stand with the book, chapter, and verse type of preaching. And the feeling they had was so enthralling and overwhelming, they just decided that they had to return to that from whence they came. This being bound by proof text Christianity, and no one will ever take away from them uh, their feelings again, has caused them to decide not to follow the God of heaven, the scriptures or the word of God, and to go on their feelings, their hunches and their spiritual enlightenment. They've decided not to choose by what God has commanded. They've decided to trust their own. They never did really that this really believe this holy spirit proven religion anyway. And so now since they've been freed from that and they've made a decision to go back with those whom they had had such a godly walk and such a thrilling spiritual experience when they went to worship and where they were not bound by a book, chapter, and verse, or thus saith the Lord, they have decided to go back from where they came. For after all. God had walked with them and talked with them years before they found out about the fact that baptism saves. God had shown himself to be a friend of theirs long before the testimony of the Holy Spirit-inspired penman had been brought to their attention. The suppression they felt in their spirit now has been relieved, and they can again be alive in their experiences of grace or whatever that is and again be happy in the Lord. This is the problem with a lot of people in the Lord's church today. We've not heard about being rooted and grounded in the doctrine of Christ. We've not heard about there is one way to please God and but one, and if you try to climb up some other way, you're the same as a thief and a robber. We've not heard about why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I've commanded you. We've decided. We've been able to determine. And since we had walked with God before, somebody had come along and bound this upon us, which we didn't want bound before. We're going to go back to that happy, joyous life. Of was thinking everybody's a Christian who believes in Jesus and all of our brothers and sisters in Christ are on a boat on a different level headed toward eternity and we can be at peace with God. But can you decide? Now, you might think this is too serious a charge. But what else explains a full charge into the depths of hell? What else explains their worshiping? or that is their definition of it, of God in a denominational setting where they can be a preacher of righteousness. How can you decide that you can attend a congregation where it doesn't matter whether the people are taught the truth or not, just as long as you feel good about being there? What else allows them to attend with their wife instead of attending where the Lord is? Without their wife. Or what else would allow them to attend where the Lord is. And then they have to go home and take that skull drudgery. Or that beating of the brain. Or that denunciation that they get every time they walk in the door. Having come home from the worship services. And after a period of time. It just doesn't make it worthwhile. Who else could make Adam eat the forbidden fruit? And who has the power to cause them to do what they don't want to do? Now, my friend, when we decide as to the word of God, what we're going to do, we need to decide whether or not what we're preaching is the same message as was preached 150 years ago maybe 1,500 years ago, maybe even 2,000 years ago. Are we still talking about the restoration of the Lord's church to its primitive standards? Are we still preaching against inborn sin? Has somebody actually brought up again the idea of physical circumcision? Or are we talking still about Arianism, which is the belief that Jesus was not God? And that he was some angel brought into this world to be elevated to sonship. If we're not talking about these principles and talking about these truths, were they valid then? Were they things we should have followed at that time? Or which, were, which church are we just trying to restore? And then the next question is, who is this we? We? You know, that's interesting. Is this we, me? And if it's me, then just who will I decide to listen to? The question is, who's left in the room that will allow or make me do what I don't want to do? Who is it that's going to give me a command that's going to contradict what I don't like and cause me to obey it? And just because we've done some of these things for a hundred years and a majority of the brethren that we know believe that these things should be done. Who is it that's going to correct us and make us do what's God and God's word? If I don't have the integrity and the appreciation for the spirit of God, then none of these things matter. I can kindly look at Jesus Christ and feel like that he's a nice guy. And I can appreciate that God the Father was a God of benevolence and love. And when I get to that point, this story's got to break off. The Holy Spirit's messed me up. He's come along and had written down rules and regulations and established what's right and what's wrong. But then, who do I listen to, Christ or the Bible colleges? And then I ask a question, well, who started them? And how did they know so much more about the Bible than anybody else? Can we decide? Fifty years ago, the church was divided over orphanages. Today, it's decided over, divided over divorce, marriage, and remarriage. Fifty or a hundred years ago, the church was, was divided over the use of instrumental music. They're trying to hush that and put it back to sleep because they think there's no reason for that to be. But when we again follow and look at the writings of the pages of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that causes us all of our trouble. Think about it. Were it not for the Holy Spirit of God, we wouldn't be in this kind of trouble that we're in. If he hadn't had written down what he intended as the God of the councils of the ages had determined, we could believe what we want to. We could decide who we worship with. We could fellowship with all of those who are heartfelt Christians, who have God in their soul who feel the joy of their salvation and never have to walk up to them and say, you know, my friend, you think that you can be saved by saying a little prayer to Jesus in your heart. But do you know what the Holy Spirit had the Apostle John write? Or do you know what the Holy Spirit had the Apostle Peter to say? Do you know that you're wrong? Well, then you put yourself in a position to contradict somebody who has such an overabundant love of God. And instead of encouraging them and spouting and sprouting them up to more glory and heights of joy in God, you've been a downer. You've become what they call a judge. And who likes judges? Because we're all in error. I want to read a passage or two to you here for a few minutes. And I want you to think as I read. In the book of 1 Thess- Thessalonians, the second chapter, and verses 1 through 12, he says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Now you can already tell that the Holy Spirit has messed you up. You shouldn't have to have these words read to you. You shouldn't be involved in some discussion of somebody saying, you know, my friend, you were wrong. Yeah, you might have had a joyous feeling, an exhortation, or a thrilling, enthralling experience with God. You might have just been overwhelmingly enjoying your Christianity wherever you were. But we were put in trust with the gospel. Verse 4. And so we spoke, and we didn't worry about pleasing men, but God, for it is God which trieth our hearts, now listen, for neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is our witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle amongst you, even as the nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were that dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because you would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. And your witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we've behaved ourselves amongst you that believe. As you know, we uh, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you should walk worthy of God, who hath called you, unto His kingdom, and glory. Now these are constraining words. These are words which causes me to not be able to be loyal to myself. You know, when we look at the word of God, we see that all the giants of the Old Testament and the New put themselves in a position to show us how to decide. Noah came from a long line of sons of God. Abraham broke free from even his own earthly father and his father's religions to follow Christ and his commandment to go make possible a people through whom Jesus could come. Joseph had 12 brothers, and he was the only one of them that was faithful to what God had commanded. David Now, not even considered a son of Jesse. The reasons that David was not called a son of Jesse, we've discussed many times before, was cited in the Old Testament as a stone which the builders rejected. That's become head of the corner. This stone comes from a derivative, if you'll remember, that might have been and could have been translated brothers, The brothers that rejected David. The question often has to be, did the Holy Spirit not leave the path clear enough? Was it something that we couldn't glean from the writings of the apostles of the first century? Or have we been sidetracked on the issues of the day to where we feel like that we have to make the decisions and we have to do what God has commanded. And if that be the case, then we have to really understand who makes the decisions. Can I decide? Am I tired of this book, chapter, and verse, Holy Spirit infused, written exact, didactic, and perfect the Christianity that I now am a part of? Or should I not feel free to go back to the way that I once was? I mean, I walked with God all those years. We had sweet fellowship. I even know a guy that says he has a God walk every morning. Do I have the nerve to go up when he tells me that he has a God walk every morning and he's out there walking and talking with God? Do I have the nerve to judge him? Can I say something to him like, my friend, how do you know that God even hears or knows? I wonder, have you ever determined by the study of the scriptures, I'm not interested in the scriptures anymore. You got me on that once before. You tripped me up on this book, chapter, and verse, thus saith the Lord religion. You got me all tied up on this he that believeth and is baptized should be saved and gave me the impression and the idea that if you hadn't been baptized to be saved, you just weren't a member of the kingdom of God. You did that once before. And you're not going to keep me with those bounds on me anymore. So I think I have persuaded Are at least introduced to you the idea that we may think God is all right and we may appreciate Jesus Christ to some extent, but we have no use for the Holy Spirit at all. We just might as well call an ace and ace, a spade, a spade. He's our problem. What would we be and how would we worship and what would we look like as a group if the Holy Spirit had not taken the time to have written down what he commanded the church to follow as doctrine and commandments and covenants. Man, we could be as happy as everybody else. We could get a little Holy Ghost going on and speaking a few tongues. I could speak in seven or eight different languages. I know a couple of songs in those languages, so I can just sing the songs in my mind, and I'm speaking that language. I can have that feeling better felt and told and have that thrill go down my spine like everybody. But you see, if I'm going to be confined to the written word of God, I have to blame my trouble on the Holy Spirit. I don't think I've ever heard any preachers that I know of preach a sermon like this. So I'm kind of, I guess, thinking outside the box. So what we need to do in the Church of Christ is do what they've done in the Baptist and the Methodist, the Presbyterian and the Roman Catholic and all the other 600 whatever denominations there are exist. We have to put on a, a march or a parade or we have to sign some kind of banner, get rid of the Holy Spirit. That's all of our problem. Because if we can get rid of him, the problem is already solved. Somebody wants to say a little prayer to Jesus in your heart and say, well, I don't have the right to judge you. I don't believe what the Holy Spirit had to say anyway. And Jesus never really said anything about it. And God the Father has not heard, we've not heard a word from him on the subject. Or if somebody says, well, let a woman be a pastor and let her do her mighty works in the name of the Lord. And let her get up and lead to singing or lead public prayer. Or do whatever she wants because, you know, they're equals. If we could get the Holy Spirit to shut up and we could mark out what he said, that I would that women not to teach or to usurp authority over a man but to learn in silence, just look how happy we could be with a woman pastor. We got a serious problem in the church of Christ. And it's finding its way into the assemblies. Of the Lord's churches today. Because there are people that have been taught. And have learned. To disrespect the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know why Mark. Who was the penman for Peter. Wrote. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth in his baptized shall be saved. Was it because Mark was an old meanie. Or was it because he was a disgruntled uh, nephew of Barnabas and he wanted to get even with somebody? Or was it that the Spirit of God revealed to Simon Peter what Simon Peter told Mark to write? And therefore, it's emboldened on the stones of eternity and can never be changed. And if we find somebody who thinks that they were baptized because they were already saved and that their baptism was an outward sign of an inward grace done to show that the world were saved, we don't have to walk up to them anymore. If we'll just discount what Mark wrote as the Spirit inspired him, we don't have to walk up to him and say, but brother, you might have gotten religiously bathed. You may have had a religious bath. You may have gotten wet all over, or they may have just sprinkled a little water on you. It doesn't matter, you know, just let God and you be at peace. If we can get rid of the words Of the Holy Spirit. And then it gets worse. And I forgot to have you stand at 15 minutes. But then it gets worse. What if in the Lord's church. We can begin to. Cause the truth not to be brought in strength. And conviction. And people will never Ever want to hear the truth of the word of God and go to where they can be appeased or like Paul told Timothy, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears to seek to to draw away disciples after them. And we think, oh, you've got to be in love with God. You've got to love people and overlook their error and not have the Holy Spirit meddle in your business. Just what are we going to do to serve the Lord? Can we decide? Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether God of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, or whoever the ites were, are you going to choose God? And then he rejoined us, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Thank you for your attention. Hopefully you'll think a little deeper when it comes to you making the decision or some Bible college professor or somebody who says, well, I know the Bible says it, but I don't believe it. I had a lady come one night and I taught something. She said, I don't believe that. I looked at her and I said, so? (laughs) It's there. It's written. What do you mean? You don't believe it. What does that mean to me? Does that mean I have to do what you do? or please you, in order for us to get along? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now that is written down as the Holy Spirit had uh, Mark to write it. That was given through Peter. Paul said, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. That's written down as Luke or John are some of those who were following with Paul while he was in prison had written down. Now the way I can solve my problem, and I've already decided this, and I'm going to quit asking people if they believe in a book, chapter, or a verse, or thus saith the Lord, I'm going to start asking people, say, do you hate the Holy Spirit? Is he really that bad for you? Because I can tell you how you can solve your problem. I had a man I was talking to the other day, and he said, Oh, well, I can tell you're in the church of Christ. I got a problem with you. I said, Well, what's your problem? Well, because you don't believe that what my salvation story is is real. Honey, I don't care about your salvation story. See, it don't mean nothing to me. It don't get any bubbles up in my chest. But if I have been consigned the word of God in truth and faithfulness, and I am supposed to represent Jesus Christ here on this earth. I've been given the honor not to contradict you, not to judge you, but to try to help you see the way that will lead to eternal life. If you're here and need to respond to the invitation, will you come as we stand and sing?
0: as we continue to grow the church and carry the legacy of Joe David Wilson. In this next segment, you'll hear sermons from the current preachers here at the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ.
2: Welcome to the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Thank you for being here tonight. It's a privilege to stand up before you and to preach God's word. As you may know, My wife and I will be celebrating our fourth wedding anniversary this upcoming week. And I'm doing my part to drive her absolutely insane. (laughs) And I think it's working. So let's give a round of applause to Maria (laughs) for putting up with me. So something you may not know about me is, is that I like books. I read a lot, and I uh, collect books. Um, so every time I come home, my wife looks at me strangely when I have a stack of books in my hands, because I've completely filled the room full of books, <laughs> and we call that room my library. So, um, But this past week, I had an opportunity to read one of these books, and the title was Autobiography of a Yogi. And this is the author written on the board, Paramhansa Yogananda. And uh, this gentleman came to the United States back in 1920, and he brought some of the Hindu Hindu philosophies to the United States. And so one of them was uh, yoga. At the time, yoga wasn't big here in the United States, and so he taught yoga, the importance of it, and some of the spiritual side to it, such as meditation, which is something they do in India long before the Buddhist religion ever came into existence. So anyway, Yogananda wrote this book about his life in America and what he did while here, and some of these meditation sessions that he had He says that he saw Christ and he spoke to him directly. And so some of the words that he wrote down in this book come directly from the mouth of Christ is what he says. So I found it very interesting. And I like to compare the Bible versus other books that I find as a source of truth. So we can compare and contrast these things. So in chapter 35 of his book, he has two paragraphs that start off, and it kind of goes along with my uh, subject for for the night, which is reincarnation. I put that on the board, but I'd like to read two paragraphs from that book. Like I said, chapter 35 of Autobiography of a Yogi. Thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. This is from Matthew 3:15. In these words to John the Baptist, and in asking John to baptize him, Jesus was acknowledging the divine rights of his guru. This word, in its meaning, uh, means a dispeller of darkness. A guru is someone who dispels darkness. So I know that nowadays we have lots of different definitions for things, um, but this is the one that was intended a dispeller of darkness. So Jesus was acknowledged, or Jesus acknowledged John the Baptist was his guru when he was asking him to be baptized. This is what the gentleman's writing. From a fervent study of the Bible, from the Oriental viewpoint, and he speaks about reincarnation. I'd like um, someone to give it a shot to try and tell us what reincarnation is as they understand it. Does anyone have any clue on that? Reincarnation. I'm sorry? Back as a goat. Come back as a goat. He's not far off. Anybody else have something? Transfer from your soul into something else. Perfect. Um, so it's a cycle of rebirths of the soul into a different body. And this body could be different things, such as plants. You might come back as a tree. could be animals. You could be a dog in your next life, or another person. This is um, with some of the Hindu beliefs. From this viewpoint, the oriental viewpoint, uh, Yogananda was convinced that John the Baptist was in a past life, the guru of Jesus. There are numerous passages, he says, in the Bible, which infer that John and Jesus in their last incarnations were were respectively Elijah and his disciple Elisha. Um, And in the Greek, they have different spellings, which it's Elias and Elisha. They appear in the New Testament in these changed forms. The very end of the Old Testament is a prediction of the reincarnation of Elijah and Elisha. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the reincarnation I'm sorry, before the Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Malachi 4.5 A prediction of His coming. Thus, John or Elijah, sent before the coming of the Lord, was born slightly earlier to serve as a herald for Christ. An angel appeared to Zacharias the father to testify that his coming son John would be no other than Elijah or Elias. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And and thy wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Luke 1, 13-17. Jesus twice unequivocally identified Elijah as John. He said, Elias is come already, and they knew him not. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Matthew seventeen twelve through 13. Again, Christ says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was to come, Matthew eleven thirteen through 14. When John denied that he was Elias, he meant in the humble garb of John, he can no longer in the outward elevation of Elijah, the great guru, John 1, 21. In his former incarnation, he had given the mantle of his glory and his spiritual wealth to his disciple Elisha. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. 2 Kings 2, 9 through 14. The roles became reversed because Elijah, or John, was no longer needed to be the Guru of Elisha, or Jesus, now perfected in divine realization. When Christ was transfigured on the mountain, it was his guru, Elias, with Moses, whom he saw, Matthew 17 and 3. Again, in his hour of extremity on the cross, Jesus cried out to the divine name, Eli, Eli, Lamna, Sabathani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood there, when they heard that, they said, this man calleth for Elias. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Matthew twenty-seven forty-six through 49. So again, thank you for allowing me to read that to you. I think that's amazing that people often will twist and turn the scriptures to preach a message far from the truth and if this gentleman actually saw Christ I would expect that Christ would point him in the right direction it seems as though this is very far from the truth and there's many scriptures that back that up so that's what I hope to do tonight is to visit some of those scriptures This had some questions within myself. Why is it that John needed to come? And why is it that he needed to come into the spirit of Elias, right? Wasn't John good enough as a guy just to come along on his own and preach Christ's coming? Why did he need the spirit of Elias? Why was that important? These were questions that I had after reading this section of the book. So in a way, this helped me to search the scriptures further and look further into the subject. Because when I asked others, what do you think about it? They didn't have a clue. Is this guy, John, a reincarnation of Elijah? So let's get to uh, proving that this gentleman was incorrect. We'll read from Matthew 11, if you'll turn there. Matthew 11, verses 7 through 14. And they departed. Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out to see in the wilderness? a reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Before, uh, behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from that day, from the days of John the Baptist, until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. So is Jesus going along with this same train of thought? Is Elijah the reincarnation? Is that why he's presenting it in this way? It's coming from Christ's mouth. These these words are written in red. So does that mean that he was a reincarnation? These things were a fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. This verse says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So again, is this a fulfillment? A reincarnation? Does the Bible actually teach reincarnation? So as I mentioned before, reincarnation is a cycle. It's death and rebirth. So it's important to know, did Elijah die? That might help us. Let's turn to 2 Kings 2 and 11. 2 Kings 2 and 11. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. It doesn't say that Elijah died, does it? It said he was taken to heaven. Much like in the beginning of the book, in in Genesis, the seventh man born Adam, down the lineage to Enoch, Enoch the seventh, he was taken by God as well. And he didn't die. So we see Elijah being taken up in a fiery uh, chariot, but we never see that he dies. Is there a scripture that actually proves that Elijah died? How then can he be reincarnated? Luke chapter 1. Let's turn over there. And verse 17. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. So what does this verse imply? It doesn't say, this is Elijah, come back, does it? It says, he will go before them in the spirit of, or the power of, Elias. So, what was it that Elijah did in the Old Testament? What happened? There were people that believed in Baal at that time, and Elijah preached against Baal. And he foretold of the coming of Christ. That's what his importance was in the Old Testament. Foretelling that Christ would come someday. And this verse here is telling us what will happen. It says, Elias, in this spirit, will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He came... In the spirit of Elias, meaning he came to introduce Christ and welcome Christ so that they knew who Christ was when he showed up. It doesn't say reincarnated. It doesn't say that John and Elijah are the same person. He came in the spirit and the power of. Much different. Next we see a Something that's quite interesting in Matthew 17. Let's look over there. Matthew 17. This is when he took three of his disciples up to the mountaintop and was transfigured. And who met him there? Who met him at the top of the mountain? And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if thou wilt Let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. So let me ask you something. If Elijah is now John, and he was beheaded, should he come back as Elijah? That doesn't make sense. Elias is standing on that mountaintop, right? If Elias had died and been reincarnated as John, and at this point where he was transfigured, John the Baptist's head was severed, how is it now that Elias is standing on the mountain? Wasn't he inside John or part of John now? Or did he go back? This doesn't make sense. And it takes away the thought that this gentleman brings. Can this be a reincarnation? Lastly, one of the strongest proofs comes directly from the mouth of John the Baptist. John chapter 1. If you'll turn there. John chapter 1, starting with verse 19. This is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed, and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then art thou? Are thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou the prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. So again, he said directly, I am not Elias. Right from his mouth. Let's turn to John 3 and 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Does that mean we have to be reincarnated people? Unless you be born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. If you look further down in verse 5, we find what Jesus intended. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God.
0: If you enjoyed today's sermon, Read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pslchurchofchrist. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pslchurchofchrist. Or, if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., and you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.